Welcome, everyone. Welcome to episode number, I believe it's episode number 82. So this episode is all around that your point of no return. So the mindset, it's pretty much about getting into that mindset of what you really want, figuring out what it is that you want, kind of getting to a point where you can design in your head the life you want to be living. But in order to do that, you also have to reach a point of no return. So you've got to reach this moment of either realizations or decisions or situations that have occurred around you or situations that you have created around you where you're not going to turn back and repeat history and continue to be living the life you're going to be living. So I think I'm going to title this episode The Point of No Return, but... Anyway, we'll see. I always like kind of um and ah uh, and I always record the episode first and then decide what I'm going to title it as. So that's kind of roughly what I'm going to be talking about. We're going to go into why you haven't gotten the things that you want, um, all the reasons. You might have one or more of the reasons and then I'm going to go into kind of specific steps that you can do to help you A, figure out what you do want in your life um, and it's kind of a mix between you know, a purpose, a want, a desire, a drive, all those things kind of combined. We're going to kind of flesh out what it is that you do want. Then we're going to be talking about how to make like a definitive decision and the difference between when you've got too many options and when you're talking about life situations, when you've got too many options versus when you've got less options, this ability of getting to a point of no return and the, your mindset and how it's different when you've got the ability to continue to go back to your old ways versus when you've kind of jumped ship, cut the cord and when you can't do that and what kind of plays out from a psychological standpoint – and yeah, so those steps are going to, going to break down how to get to that point because I think when you're looking at changing your life and doing things in your life that's going to create some massive permanent change that becomes just a part of you where you've raised your standards, a lot of the time you have to make these big decisions where you literally cut the cord and you are now living in a new version of yourself, a new reality. This back and forth you're going to see is not going to be very beneficial and it's probably going to answer a lot of questions for you why you always end up in the same place, especially with the things that you want the most or are most you know, tempted towards having in your life. Um, why it is that they don't really come to fruition and you always find yourself back to square one and you're kind of doing something for a very long time or repeating history. Okay, separate to all of that, I am going to do a little um, fact for the day, but it's not going to be a brain fact. It's just about hyaluronic acid. So I'll be going into that in a sec. And then a quick weekly update. Um, Not too much other than, oh my God, so exciting. So you guys are listening to this podcast on a Friday and – um, Sydney gets out of our, like the lockdown that we do have, we're having all these restrictions lifted on Monday. So I'm so excited, so excited to see some of my family, cousins, aunties, uncles, Ugh, like my parents are in Queensland, but I'm so excited to see my fucking family. So that will be what I'll be doing. I'll be doing that and eating out and definitely getting a Negroni somewhere at some point. Um, yes. Uh, what else about this week? I have been waking up at 5.45 pretty much every morning this week, which has been amazing. I've made it a little bit earlier. I normally do it around 6 and that just extra 15 minutes is quite divine. And I've been consistent with my running. So big applause to me because I'm so inconsistent with my running normally. So this is something that I'm kind of like sticking to. I want to be running to minimum 
ideally three times a week. Not Nothing hectic, just like six to eight Ks is kind of what I want to be working towards. Anyway, so enough of my week. Like I said, it's never that exciting during lockdown, but good times. We're alive. We are healthy. That is what matters. Now, let's get into our little fact for today before I get into the topic of the podcast. So today I thought that what I would talk about is, um, it's not really a brain fact, it's just kind of like a molecule fact and it's hyaluronic acid because a lot of people use it in their skincare routines. But what I mainly want to talk about is kind of hyaluronic acid and how it's naturally occurring in the body. So hyaluronic acid, it's also known as HA, I'll probably refer to it as HA. So like I said, it occurs within the body most of it, I think it's about half of the hyaluronic acid that does occur within your body naturally is in your skin. Uh, but the rest of it is also in your connective tissue, like bones, cartilage, and also your eyes as well. Um, because it's it's basically like a lubricant and it is something that's called um, hydrophilic, which means that it is attracted to water. So the main purpose of it is to lubricate um, to retain water and to attract water. So hydrophilic. I think you guys might have heard me talk about things that are lipophilic, which are things that are attracted to fats. Like when I was talking about that episode, when I spoke about things that need to cross the blood-brain barrier, need to be lipophilic, which because they need like a certain amount of fattiness to it to get through. Whereas with HA, it is hydrophilic. It is attracted to water and it attracts water or moisture. Now, it's a lot. Like one gram of HA can maintain something like 7.5 liters of water or something like outrageous like that. So you can imagine how powerful this actually can be within the body. Now, there's a whole range of things that you can use hyaluronic acid for. Um, a, most of us would know it in the beauty industry for serums that you put in, like on your skin, uh, but it can, it's also in a lot of eye drops as well. Uh, because it basically maintains the the tear ducts and the moisture that you're already producing within your eye. If you're then putting an eye drop that has hyaluronic acid into it, it's kind of retaining that moisture at the surface of the eye, um, therefore keeping it more um, hydrated. You can also, a lot of people do injectables with hyaluronic acid. Um, you can do a supplementation with a tablet. There's a lot of studies being done at the moment that if you ingest it via a tablet form, how it changes kind of the composition and like the smoothness and the hydration of your skin and also really good for joints as well. Um, but then, of course, what I find really interesting is that you can actually be injecting hyaluronic acid into um, joints with people that have kind of osteoarthritis or degeneration within the joint and you can get it injected. So fun fact, my dad actually, he just got a hip resurfacing, which is kind of like, uh, look, don't, I'm no surgeon, but it's like a hip replacement, but not as extreme, but it's still a pretty intense surgery. Anyway, he had that done, but prior to that, his hip was just like absolutely fucked and like he couldn't walk long distances and he's a pretty fit guy. So it was really frustrating for him. And before he went and got the surgery, he went in and had this injection injection of hyaluronic acid directly into his hip joint, like in the socket area. And that significantly reduced his pain. And of course, this is different for everybody. And, and the guy, the, the, the medic who was injecting him said, you know, some people feel like incredible results and it can last up to, I think it's 12 months. Some people feel nothing at all. And some people it's kind of some help, but not total. For, for my dad, it really helped initially. Um, and then of course the pain did 
continued to come back. So then he opted for the surgery in the end. But it's really interesting that basically you see how hyaluronic acid acts as something that brings moisture in, but in joints it also acts as a lubricant. Other things that it's linked to is bone strength. And they're doing studies at the moment that if you supplement with tablets of hyaluronic acid, it can actually help improve the strength of your bones. And it also increases the activity of something called osteoblasts. And that is cells that build new bone tissue. But those studies on osteoblasts are currently being done on that's animal studies at the moment. So if obviously that does really well, then they go into like human trials for that. It's also quite crucial for um, cell signaling. So that's kind of communication between between cells uh, and basically when you've got a wound it's really good at telling the cells to you know get their gear into action and start healing that wound it kind of works with it, it regulates inflammation so in a way it can be anti-inflammatory but also when necessary it can promote inflammation um, I've got I'm going to do like a whole segment on inflammation later because it's not always bad um, and there's a reason why it occurs so basically this regulates inflammation and it makes sure that it happens when it's supposed to be happening and not when it's not supposed to be happening so um also what um you can actually even apply hyaluronic acid to your wounds as well so you've got a cut it's going to speed up the process because it does have that cell signaling and all of that that it's responsible for what else um and antibacterial so some people can sometimes use it in a mouthwash it's really good for ulcers and things like that so as you can see really really interesting compound it is there's like different molecular weights to it there's the the heavy molecular weight and there's a lighter molecular weight and there's still a lot of studies being done on you know what is the right amount if you're supplementing with tablets what's the right amount if you're using a serum on your skin you know what's the correct amount what's the molecular weight of it and and all that shit but what you want to think about I guess the main thing to think about is that it is something that attracts water so if you're using it as a serum you've got to use it in combination with something that's very um, wet or moist so like a moisturizer that has a high content of water in it because there's no point using hyaluronic acid if you're not then going to have something that's super hydrating on top of that um, because the point of it is to draw in water it attracts and holds moisture and water so that's kind of the whole point of it with the eye drops and with the joints and all of that so I thought that was really interesting um, I think it's interesting to keep following the the studies and the science of what's going on with hyaluronic acid and Yes. Oh, nearly forgot about it. There was a study done on these rats, which are called naked mole rats. I don't even know if they've got eyeballs. They're these like bald, ugly looking rats, the poor things. But they live for like 30 years. And the normal rat lives for, look, I think it's around four or five. Okay. So these mole rats live for a fucking long time. By far the most craziest longevity with a rat breed or species. They have a crazy amount of high molecular weight hyaluronic acid. So like I said, there's high molecular weight and low molecular weight. These guys have a really high amount of high molecular weight and they live for so much longer. And this scientist, she was doing the study on them, like an anti-aging kind of thing. And they found also that they, their rates of cancer were also super, super low. But if they removed this high molecular weight hyaluronic acid, these rats then became more prone to cancer. And then they got other issues and other problems as well. So there's obviously this link, at least in this particular study, between these, you know, mole rats that live like almost 10 times longer than the other rats and 
why they've got so much hyaluronic acid within their like naturally occurring hyaluronic acid. Keep in mind that is an animal study. Uh, it's just interesting to observe this phenomena kind of in nature, but that doesn't mean that, of course, it translates directly onto humans, not at all. But a lot of the studies that we do generally start in rodent, rat or mice models. So it is really cool to see shit like that. Anyway, um, let's get into the topic of today. Okay, so... Let's now talk about the topic of today, which is finding your point of no return so you can live the life that you want to be living. What I want to help you get your head around to start with is to to start to realize why it is that you have not yet gotten what it is that you want. Most of the time it comes down to a lack of decision or a lack of action or a belief system that you have that is holding you back. But often that belief system is then causing this lack of action or lack of decision. So it ultimately does come down to when you look at physical things, you are lacking something. It's not that you're doing something wrong and making all these mistakes because even when you're taking action, even if it's not the best action or not something right, but if you're taking action towards your goal, you're eventually going to kind of figure out what it is that you want. Inaction is the problem. Okay, so let's break it down. Why haven't you gotten what you want? For Number one, you've taught yourself to get too comfortable with the alternative. And that alternative is your current reality right now. So you've set it up in a way in your head that you don't think that you might actually be able to achieve what it is that you want to achieve. You might have one, two, three, ten different possibilities for your life that you want for yourself, but you've truly talked yourself out of it or you've or you've made yourself believe that it's just not quite possible for you or not quite possible for you yet. So because you don't truly think it's possible for you, you've then looked at the life that you have right now and you've started to make it too comfortable for yourself. So every time you get into a position where you might have the chance to take action or might have the chance to be vulnerable and throw yourself in the deep end and take that leap of faith and cut the cord, you think, oh no, it's actually not that bad right here. It's actually not that bad right now. So only in that moment of decision-making and choice do you look at your current circumstance and think, oh, it's not too bad. I'll just stay here. It's fine. Because you've done certain things to make what you're doing right now comfortable enough. But the problem is, once you then, you don't have to make that big decision and once you're not in that difficult place of taking that leap of faith, in general, you are not satisfied with your life. You have this underlying dissatisfaction with your life and you're just always wanting for more. And mind you, that's like a human trait to always want more. It's a good thing to always want more. It means that you're always growing, adapting and evolving. So it's not a bad thing to always want more. But if you're in a situation where you are not living to your full capacity and you know it and you're – for example, there's so many things that I want, you know, more of or that I want to expand and grow off, grow on. But right now where I am, I'm very satisfied with my life versus where I was maybe five years ago or four years ago. What I had in my life, yes, I was a happy person. I was grateful. But I'm like, I don't want this right now. I want something else. Whereas – if, if, so do you understand the difference? The difference is that you can be in a place where you're like, fuck yeah, I'm on purpose. I'm living what I want. I can still reach for more. There's still things that I want to work towards. I want more and more. I want to keep growing versus I'm really not satisfied where I am. Okay. The problem is if you are currently in a situation where you're not satisfied, but you've not taken action, you've made your current situation comfortable enough that when it comes to the crunch, you can still fall back onto your current reality and say, it's fine. It's not that bad. Okay. Number two, 
you've told yourself that it's too hard. It's too hard. It's too hard. Do you know how detrimental that language is that it's too hard? I'm all about, like, and I've told you guys this whole concept that I have, and it's not just me, but in psychology, of telling yourself a blatant lie is not really, like these positive affirmations, if it feels like a lie, then you're just not going to believe it. It's going to sound ridiculous and then it's pointless. So I, what I'm going to say, I don't want to contradict myself. I just want you to understand where I'm coming from. I'm not telling yourself to lie to yourself, but you need to start changing your language around things that you keep saying is too hard, okay? You've got to change your language. So for example, instead of saying it's too hard, you can say, it's going to be easier than last time or I'm going to be surprised with how well this goes today or it's not too bad or there's worse things I could be doing. This, you can always reword what you're going to do, right? That's how I sometimes approach big challenges or often what I do if I've got like a really big day ahead of me. When I wake up, the first thing I say to myself is like, today it's going to be surprisingly easy. Today my day is going to be surprisingly easy. And what I mean, and the good thing about saying surprisingly easy, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that everything I do is going to be a breeze, but I'm going to say that I'm going to be pleasantly surprised that it wasn't as hard as it could have been or it wasn't as hard as I can make it out to be. Stop telling yourself something is so hard because then you have this massive hesitation and then you're even less likely to take action. One fucking baby step at a time before you know what you turn around and you've created a body of work for yourself, okay? But if you say it's too hard, you're just never going to embark on it because you're waiting, you're waiting for the right moment. And that's what perfectionists do, okay? The next one, number three, is you've told yourself that this is a job that your future self can do. I think I mentioned this on the decision fatigue or one, one of the most recent podcasts. Stop telling yourself that this is a job that your future self can do. You have to be willing to do it now. And fair enough, for example, if you've got to get a qualification first, then start the fucking qualification. If you've got to, if there's certain prerequisites that you need, then you need to be doing those prerequisites now. So obviously that's not what I'm talking about. But if it's something where resource-wise and knowledge-wise you can kind of start, if you're thinking, oh, I'll start when I'm not as busy, I'll start when, 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 then you're never going to do it, okay? Stop thinking that your future self is going to want to do something that your present self doesn't want to do because that's never going to be the case. Number four, I think, um, you expect – number four and last one – you expect others to hold you accountable. Now, why is it that we do it? Why do we always look to other people to hold us accountable? This is for many reasons. Obviously, it might be too hard. It might be because we just really don't want to do something and we want to find a place to not take full ownership for when we don't do it. And it's also because we're kind of used to it from it happening in other areas of our life. Firstly, when you're young, when you're growing up, it is your parents and your school that's constantly telling you what to do, telling you what to do. I remember when I went to uni, there was a lot of people, including myself, that were a bit like, whoa, 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 whoa. If I don't rock up to this class, they don't, they don't tell me that I've got to come back. If I stand up in the middle of a lecture and walk out, I'm not being told, wait, where are you going? Sit back down. That was like a first big taste of 
If you don't want to rock up to class, that's on you. We're not going to get angry at you that because uni is for adults, right? And so it's this big shift of like really needing to be accountable and being responsible for your own actions and your own education versus being at school where if you didn't rock up to class, you'd get, you know, detention or you'd get whatever. And then if you didn't do certain things at home, your parents wouldn't give you your freedoms or your liberties that you wanted to have, okay? So there was punishment if you didn't do certain things. So these people around you held you accountable throughout your life then when you become more independent become an adult it is your job to hold you accountable but we're used to this we grew up being you know having people hold us accountable so we prefer it that way we prefer it because even children that grow up with no boundaries with parents that don't set them boundaries and are full full rebels they then get interviewed by psychiatrists and they say i just so desperately want some boundaries i'm hungry for boundaries so people do grow up with this innate need of people being like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. you're going to be held accountable for your actions you can't do that you should be doing that you're responsible for that bang 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 okay so it is something that we want but we can provide that for ourselves however most of us, especially when we're scared of, you know, something that seems insurmountable, whether it's a weight loss goal or whether it's, you know, studying or whether it's whatever, a physical, you know, achievement that you want to have, we like to have other people keep us accountable. And then if we fail, we can turn around and say, why did you let me eat that? Why did you let me sleep in? Or I don't have a supportive group group around me, so I always end up eating bad food or um, – I never end up training when, when I say that I'm going to train with these people because they always bail on me. Notice how when you have that mentality, it's like, poor me, poor me, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks, I don't have a supportive network. But all those things you could have still done yourself. Granted, it's harder when the people around you aren't doing it, when the people around you are kind of shoving things in your face. But if your training buddy pulls out, you can still fucking train. If someone in front of you is eating something that you don't want to be eating for your meal plan or whatever, you can still eat what you want to eat. I understand that it's harder with self-control and that's a different topic altogether, but you've got to acknowledge what is fact. And the fact is that ultimately you're only going to really get where you want to get to is if you become your own accountability coach or partner or person, okay? Granted, yes, it's easier when people around you are A, doing the same thing or B, being your accountability buddy. It is less work for you as there are no temptations, but it is still you doing it. The, the outcome is the same. You are still doing it. It is you, not someone else that's doing it for you. And I'm, like I said, I'm all for accountability partners. I love it. I also find it easier. But don't fall down the trap thinking that it's the only way to do it or that other people are responsible for your slip-ups. You are responsible for your slip-ups and that is a good thing. It is a good thing that you are responsible because it's a blessing actually. Because if other people were responsible for your slip-ups, then you would be at their mercy. You would be a puppet cruising through life with no control. If other people were responsible for your slip-ups and your success and for your failures, then why would you bother doing anything? You would have no control and life would fucking suck, okay? So you should be thrilled that you are responsible for your own slip-ups. That's a fucking great thing because it means that you have the power and it is up to you. And it might be a little bit more work initially, but you have the control of where your life is headed. So be grateful that you are responsible for your slip-ups. I love it. I love being responsible for my slip-ups because then it means that I'm responsible for my successes. Okay, so I was listening to this talk by a guy named Bill Burnett. He's a psychologist and he works on this whole concept of like designing your life. 
and he worked on a study with a with a partner of his, another psychologist, I believe. And basically, they were part of this design your own life thing that he was doing. Is he was getting his students or participants to come up with about three or more ideas for how many lives that they could live where they would be happy in. So, like, let's say that anything was a possibility, right? So you could think of, okay, I could be an engineer right now. I could drop everything right now. Personally, me, Alexis, I could drop everything right now, go back to uni and become an engineer. That's a possibility, right? I could do the same for, I could, you know, there's certain things that I wouldn't be able to do based on my age, like I can't be a ballerina anymore. But there's a whole bunch of shit that right now I could do. Now, out of all the possibilities, what are ones that I genuinely would want to do where I would be truly happy doing? And they found that the average number was around seven per people. And like some people said, oh, I can think of legitimately thousands and I've written them all down. Like I can literally think of thousands. But most people, the average number was seven lives that they could imagine that could make them really happy. Then separate to that, he does this thing where he says, okay, put aside what you're doing right now and also put aside your plan B. What would you do if money wasn't wasn't like an object? What would you actually do if you could right now? Like let's say no one could laugh at you, money wasn't an issue, you could just do it. And a lot of people started saying things to him that were pretty realistic. Like one of them was saying, oh, I would actually go and be a bartender in this random island somewhere. And someone was saying, oh, I I would actually go back and do teaching. And they were like older. And anyway, so he started realizing that a lot of the things that people really want for themselves in these extreme case scenarios are not actually that outside the realm of what is possible for that person anyway. So what this study has gone to show, I guess it's two things. Firstly, it goes to show that we as humans are quite adaptable and we're quite creative. And when given the opportunity, there's not just one road to happiness. There's actually, well, A, you're creating it yourself, but there's actually many things that you can be doing within your life where you can find fulfillment within yourself with what you're doing. And you're going to feel like, yep, I'm living on purpose. This is awesome. And it's not just one career. And I think it also comes down to this idea of knowing what feeling you want to be feeling and then thinking of what can expand out from that and what you can do from that. Separate to that, when people thought about their dream life or what it is that they could have and have this amazing life, a lot of the time it was within the realm of possibility for these people. It wasn't something that was so outrageous that only two people in the world experience. It was actually something that they literally could do, but they didn't want to, you know, stop what they were already doing or they felt that they, you know, were in too deep with their career or whatever. But the actual thing that they wanted wasn't that much of an outrageous idea, um, at least for them, even for themselves. Okay. So the important thing is understand what it is that you truly want, even in your wildest dreams. And even if that dream seems so wild, and let's say, okay, let's say you want to be a bartender in the Bahamas, okay, but you right now live in Sydney and you have children and that's not, right, I get it, that's not possible. So I understand that there are certain things that timing-wise is not going to work right now, right? But you can say, okay, why do I want that though? What is it about that dream that I want that I could then bring into this current life? And then you start to design a concept in your mind about what it is that you want and and why it is that you're chasing that feeling. Is it that you want this, this sense of freedom? Is it that you don't want to worry about possessions and comparing possessions with other people and who's got more and who's got what? Is it that you just want a calm life? Is it that you want less responsibilities of other people depending on you? Like what is it that you want? You know, 
you can start to figure out when you look at your ideal dream life, you can already start incorporating the things that you want from that life in your life today. You don't have to wait for every star to align or for, you know, another life in order to experience that. So the first thing that I want you to do right now is I want you to decide on one or maximum two things that you are going to do. Full stop, you're going to do it, okay? I'm going to go into this this idea of the decision and whatever, point of no return. But you're going to decide to do it. It can be more in the future, but right now you're going to pick two. And you're going to stick to it until the following, until either it works out for you and it becomes part of your lifestyle. Um, B, you do it and then you realize that it's absolutely not aligning with you, but then you can discard it for good and you never have to revisit it again because you've given it your all. Or you realize that through doing it, it's led you to something else that you want. So it's opened another door, which then means that you never have to go back to it either. Okay. So you're starting to come up with these ideas that you're going to follow where you're going to kind of commit enough that you can't go back on that commitment. You either continue going forward or you divert your path, but you can't go backwards on that decision. You want to get to that place of not being able to go backwards. Indecisiveness and hesitation is what fucks with you with when you want to achieve something. Okay. When you, and this is, and I talk about this shit all the time of like when you decide that you want a goal, it's got to be something that you can implement into your life permanently. If you say to yourself, I'm going to do this for 30 days. What are you saying to yourself? Oh, this is not the real me. I'm not actually going to make this change. I'm just going to lol, have a fucking challenge. And then after the, I'm telling myself that I'm not capable of permanent change. Okay. Why do 30 days when you can do, you know, 300 days? And if you can't sustain it for 30 days, why are you fucking doing it in the first place? Okay. So when you look at these lifestyle changes that you want to be making, look at it as a permanent change. When you make a firm decision for yourself, there's less back and forth with that decision. You make the decision, you level up, you raise your standards and you do it, okay? Here's an example, okay? Let's say, let, let's look at the, an example of someone making a, a firm decision. And this is probably a really common one. You've got a dinner on that night and you've been trying to like not drink, okay? So you make the decision then and there. I'm coming tonight and I'm not going to drink. In fact, I'm going to invest in this decision by driving there. I'm going to drive there and I'm going to have a ball because I'm capable of having fun without alcohol. So you make the decision. You don't think twice about it. The decision is done. There's no hesitation. You go, you have a great time and the chances of you slipping up are slim to none. Okay? And you drive home. The alternative to that is saying, oh, oh, um, I really don't want to drink tonight, so maybe I should drive. But, you know, what, what if I did drink? Then driving would be a bad idea because then I'd have to collect my car the next morning and how am I going to collect my car? So maybe, maybe. So you're already setting yourself up to fail. You're already putting these doubts in your minds, telling yourself that you are incapable of following through with the decision, that you are going to cave. So you already prep yourself to fail by not driving there because you think it's going to be too hard. You're telling yourself it's going to be too hard before you've even gotten there. Then you get there. And then when you have a drink, you say to yourself, it's confirmation bias. You say, see, I knew I was going to cave. I had the drink. No, cunt. You set it up that way. You set it up to have a drink so you could then prove to yourself that it was so hard. When in reality, had you driven there, had you said, what's done is done. I've made the decision. I'm not going to think about it again. It would have been fucking easy for you not to drink. Like easy. I know some people, some of my friends, the biggest party animals have gone on 30 day no alcohol cleanses and they've all said to me, this is actually so much easier than I thought because they've made the decision. 
Indecisiveness is the killer. That's what's the hard thing. If you set yourself up to have too many options, then you're constantly going to go back and forth, back and forth, and you're going to choose the thing that you're most comfortable doing, which is like with the example that I gave you, drinking that night or eating the thing you didn't want to be eating because you set it up in a way that was too comfortable for you to revert back to your old ways. When in reality, all you have to do is make a firm decision and ideally invest in that decision so it's harder, so you're at that point of no return, like you've driven there or you've invested money into a decision that you've made. So now you've got this this um, monetary pull that's pulling you to actually go ahead and follow through with that idea. You've got to start putting things into place. When you decide I want to go on this trip, book the fucking ticket now, book it. So you've got the money there. You start to put like the wheels into motion and before you know it, it is happening. If you sit here and talk, oh, later, I'll do it later, I'll procrastinate, I'll do it later, then you're always going to fall back on your laurels. This back and forth is what's difficult. Making the decision and sticking to it is actually not as hard as we make it out to be. Now, there was this really interesting study that was done with um, these – it was like, oh, look, I'm going to try and explain it as best as I can, but it's really interesting and it goes to explain to you how the mind works around decisions and our bias towards decisions. So there was this study that was done. All these people came in and they were given these five Monet artwork prints that they had to order from one to five of which one they liked the most, okay? Then once they put them into the order – part of obviously the actual research, the researcher says to them, I've actually got spare prints off and they give spare prints off what that person put as their number two and three. Not the number one, but number two and three in their options, okay? I've actually got spares of your two and your three. Um, if you if you want to take it, you can. And for one group, the researcher says, you know, you can take either two or three but once you take it, you can't change your mind because I'm, I'm not going to be able to change it anymore. It's not going to be possible. I'm too busy. So you've got to stick to that decision and that's it. So most of them, of course, they chose number two because it was their second preference. And then the other group, they said, look, you can choose, but you can come and change it. You can change it tomorrow if you want. I'll just check in with you if you want. You, you don't have to stick to it. You can choose number three or number two. It's up to you. You can change it as often as you want. It's all good. Anyway, so that was that. Then they went away. Then for the second part of that experiment, they come back like a couple of weeks later and the group that could come back and exchange it and change their mind and exchange it, they didn't really know how to how to number these paintings, the same paintings again from one to five. They didn't like the one that they had chosen. They didn't like the alternative and they didn't like any of them. They didn't even like the, the, the one that they put for the first one. They were just unhappy and they were unhappy with their decision and they just, they didn't like any of them, Okay. The other group that had chosen the number two one and taken it home, that they couldn't exchange it. Once they made the decision, they had to stick to it. They took it home. They come back and now the one that they chose was now their favourite. It was no longer number two, it was number one. They loved it. And all the other ones were way further down the line. They didn't care for the other ones. They were so happy with the one that they chose. And that just goes to tell you that when we reach a point of no return, we commit to the decision and we make it a part of our new reality. And we are biased. When it becomes part of our new reality, we think, wow, how good is this? This is amazing. I'm actually living it. I'm breathing it. It's good. It's fine. I'm happy. I'm grateful. I love it. Okay. If you are always thinking about what could have been or the possibility or I can go back, this idea of going back and forth is really, really detrimental. That study of the, of the five artworks proved that if you make a decision reversible – 
then chances of you being happy with what you decided goes down by 60 or 70%. And this has been repeated in psychology experiments again and again. If you make a decision reversible, you are less likely to be happy with what you chose. How fucked is that? So that just goes to show you that you need to get to a point where you reach the point of no return, okay? You make a decision where you cannot look back. So you need to start putting things to up the ante. Are you going to make a financial contribution? Are you going to get rid of something altogether or give it away so you don't keep going back to it? Are you going to make a strong, strong decision and put mental parameters in place that mean that you're not going to turn around on that decision until I said like those things at the beginning, once you've made that choice, until of course it works out for you, it leads you down another path or you realize that you absolutely never want it again. So then in a way it was the right decision because you could discard that idea permanently, okay? So those should be the only three outcomes. You should never be sitting in a situation where you're constantly going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, okay? Make a fucking decision because even if it doesn't work out, the decision was there to serve you. You now never have to think about that thing again, okay? That is where FOMO, fear of missing out, all that shit, that's where that comes in. If you commit to your decision, you don't have FOMO. The only time you have FOMO is if you're in between two things, And that's with everything in life. Really think about it. Yes, you might think, oh, it would have been nice to be there, but you don't have a true fear of missing out. You think that would have been nice to go to that event, but I'm currently living in fucking Paris, living my best life. Okay, the next thing that I want you to do is understand what level of effort is required, okay? It's good to understand that because... Firstly, anything that is not subconscious or is not a full-on ingrained habit or ritual or pattern in your life is going to require a level of effort. Now, you have to understand where your minimum threshold is, okay? We all have a minimum threshold. We all have a bare minimum in life. And for everybody, it is different. You might look at somebody and think, oh my God, you're an extremist or you're obsessed or you're this or you're that. But for them, they just have a higher minimum threshold than what you do. And for them, it's normal. For them, doing anything less than that would feel fucked or would feel like they're just not living up to their own standard. Then you're also going to know of people around you that you're like, oh, I could never do as little as you do. You fucking, it annoys me even looking at you because there's so much you could be doing. There's so much potential and you're wasting it away. Okay. So everybody where you stand right now, you're always going to know people that have um, a higher threshold than you and a lower threshold than you, but we all have a, a minimum threshold. Okay. The bare minimum of what we deem to be acceptable. Anything above that is you leveling up in life is you trying to achieve more than what you're used to. So let's look at this activation energy that we require. Some people need more of that activation energy to get moving, to get off their ass than other people. Now, in chemistry, activation energy is the minimum amount of energy that I'm reading this off, as you can tell, it's the minimum amount of energy that must be provided for compounds to result in a chemical reaction. So basically, it is the minimum amount of energy for you to take action, for you to move, get off your ass, make the phone call, write the email, sign up for that course, quit your job, that kind of shit, okay? So what is it for you? Because most of us, it's a deadline, okay? Most of us will procrastinate, 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 but we're not that shit that we just don't do it. We will do it in the end, but it's with a deadline. But what about the things in your life that don't have a deadline? How then are you going to get your activation energy for that? 
that is where it's important to start making some of your own investments towards that so you kind of have more to lose if you don't do it, okay? It kind of combines what I was talking about, about making a decision, kind of reaching that point of no return where you can't look back, you've made that decision, there's no more back and forth. And it's also about kind of investing more of your time, your energy or your money so there's less chances that you're going to go backwards. This has been proven time and time again in psych studies that the more you invest into an idea or a concept or a future, the more you see yourself there, the more you've got to lose. So the less likely you are to fuck around with the idea and go back and forth. You're just going to kind of dive straight in because you don't really have a choice now. So what I want you to do is create for yourself with the things that you said that you wanted to do, create some deadlines for action for yourself. Figure out what the deadlines need to be. Obviously, I can't tell you time-wise because everyone's going to have a different concept. But figure out what it is that you want to do and create a deadline and then raise the stakes. Invest something in it, okay? Buy a ticket, buy something. Financial investment is a really good motivator for a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people. You can also do things like you've sold something and you don't get rid of it until that point. So say... Say you've told yourself, I'm moving, I need to start getting rid of my furniture. Say you were able to sell your furniture and say, pick it up at this date. Then you really have to go. Get Ending your lease is a great one without starting up a new one and it's pushing you to do something. Giving in your notice at work. Certain things that you'll be able to do. Signing up for a course and paying the deposit. You, there's, a, there's a million things that you can be doing. Putting a down payment on a shipment order of products that you want to start selling. Just like put the payment down. That kind of stuff makes you decide, okay, well, it is what it is. I now have to do it. I did it with my book. I've got like a deadline that's pretty fucking hectic for me, but I've already accepted the advance payment. So I don't really fucking have a choice and it's just going to happen. And now every time I sit down and write it, I think instead of being like, fuck this, this is fucked. I'm stressing, I'm stressing because I have stressed about it. Trust me, I have. But when I sit down and write it, now that I've made the decision, I think, God, two years ago, you could have only ever dreamt of writing a book for a publisher. So ultimately I'm thrilled with the idea, but I still have a deadline and there's no two ways about it. I have to meet that deadline. I've accepted that, that, um, the advance. So now I have to do it. So that's what I mean about creating something that's going to increase your activation energy. It's going to increase the likelihood of you getting off your ass and taking action. But just like a chemical reaction, the hardest part is igniting. That's where it uses up the most energy. Once that chemical reaction sets off, it's energy, 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 bang for that reaction. Once it sets off, the effort for you to continue is actually a lot less. You just need that initial push, that initial kind of ignition. And then the momentum is there and you start rolling, rolling, rolling. It's like when you get out of bed, those first few seconds to get you out are a struggle. But if you were to stand up out of bed, walk to the bathroom and splash cold water on your face, the, the temptation to go back to bed is a lot less than when you're in your bed. If you were to then brush your teeth straight away with this minty flavor, then you're more and more awake and then it's kind of easier and easier and easier, okay? So for people that say, I, I can't, I can't, I can't get out of bed, you're battling here with 10 seconds that is detrimental to your whole morning. It's this five to 10 seconds in your bed where you're battling with this indecisiveness. If you were to make a fucking decision and stick to it no matter what, then you would put parameters in place for it to be impossible for you to go back in your decision. You would go and start setting alarm clocks on the other side of the room, but you haven't 
made the decision. If you're not willing to do that, you're not willing to decide. You are still in this hesitation mode. If you say, oh my God, that's extreme. If you think that taking action is extreme because of the means that you have to put around yourself in order for you to take action, then you are telling yourself, I'm not going to do it. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen in six months time. It's just not going to fucking happen. Okay. So you are literally for the 10 seconds in the morning where you struggling for that, that um, chemical reaction, the, the activation energy to occur, you're literally sacrificing a morning of productivity for 10 seconds of fucking around back and forth. It's not worth it. Another really good way of doing things is what have I tried in the past? And that's what not to do. Because if it doesn't work, don't repeat it and expect a different result. If setting your alarm day in, day out, and you snooze it every single day, that idea is dead, okay? You've blown your chances. You fucking uninvited yourself to the group of people that can fucking wake up with an alarm clock right next to their bed that they can hit snooze. You no longer have the privilege of the snooze button. You now need to teach yourself, okay, if I'm not gonna, if that's not gonna work for me, if I've proven to myself that that doesn't work for me, I now need to up the ante and do something a bit more extreme for me to take action because everybody has a threshold and you just have to figure out what your threshold is. And your past is a very good indicator of what your future threshold is going to be. Okay. But like I said, it is a decision that you have to make back and forth wastes way more time and energy. A, a, A strong decision saves you years of your life. And then lastly, I want you to really start to change your perception of how lucky you are as a person. Now, luck is a very, the way I look at luck, it's very much like, you know, a lot of luck comes from action and then opportunities start presenting themselves because of the more action you're taking. So you can call it luck, you can call it taking action, you can call it the stars aligning, you can call it whatever you want to call it. But this idea of feeling lucky actually has a lot of benefits, okay? People that genuinely believe, and there's a lot of studies have been done on this, people that genuinely believe that they are lucky and things just happen for them are actually way more aware of the peripheral things that are going on for them, okay? And there's an experiment that was done. I can't fucking remember who said this, but it was recently, I heard it recently, I think it was on a TED talk. An experiment was done where they got a bunch of people where half of them genuinely believe that they are not lucky at all. And then the other half who believe that they are truly lucky. And they had to sit down and do kind of like a um, read through this paper. And one of it was like, you've once you read the word hat or whatever, Whatever the word was, once you read it 15 times, then you can finish the study, you can hand in the paper and you can leave. But then in the fine print of those papers, it says, if you read this text, you can finish early and leave. The people that consider themselves to be lucky were the ones that noticed that fine print and were like, oh, sick. And then they got up and handed it in and left. That's got nothing to do with genuinely being lucky or not. But people who think that they are lucky are more aware of the fine print, things in the peripheral, constant opportunities here and there. They're primed for opportunity, okay? So you need to start changing what you say about yourself and what you say to other people. You've got to start genuinely imagining that you could be as lucky as other people around you. And if you have that outlook when you start your day thinking today's going to be a lucky day, I'm going to be lucky, it's going to be a lucky day, then you've got this proactive mindset around you. It's not just, this is not just an affirmation to be like, oh, ha, ha, this is fun, 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 fun. Everyone loves me. No, this is, I am 
putting myself in a position where I'm more likely to notice things and be aware and be proactive and be excited about it, okay? So start to consider yourself as things happen to me. Good things happen to me. If they haven't yet, it's because they are going to happen. And you've got to change your perspective on your current reality and your situation. When that starts to happen, then your mindset around what is possible for you to achieve and what is possible to enter into your life starts to change. And then the things around you start to change to reflect that based on your actions, based on the opportunities around you, and also based on how people interact with you and how people treat you. Okay. It is literally a science. There's a science around it, which is pretty fucking fascinating. Okay, guys, I hoped that helped you with the topic. There was a lot of kind of random psych facts in there, but to me, I find those things like really, really helpful because it makes a lot of sense. And I hope that you could see yourself in a lot of what was being said today. Guys, thank you so much. Go and fucking make a decision. Stick to that decision see it through. And even if it doesn't work out, you've done yourself a favor because once you decide, you never have to make that decision ever again. If you hesitate, you are constantly going back and forth, suffering and struggling with a decision that needs to be made. Okay. Tell this to yourself. Once I make a decision, I never have to make that decision again. It either fails and I can say goodbye. Thank you for your service. Bomb fucking voyage, or it works out for me, or it leads me down another door. And then I still don't ever have to make that return to that old decision ever again. And again, remember when you make a decision, make it irreversible, stick it out and see it through. Okay. If you can keep going back and forth like that painting thing that I told you about, that awesome study, then you're going to be less satisfied with the decision that you do end up making. So if you make your decision reversible, you're less likely to be happy with the outcome. Make it irreversible, okay? Throw yourself in there. Throw yourself in the deep end. At the end of the day, you will survive no matter what. You are way more resilient than you give yourself credit for. Stop thinking that everything's going to crumble around you. The idea might crumble, but that is in a way it does you a favor because then you can move on to the next. The amount of fucking things that have crumbled for me. And now I look back and I'm like, thank God all that shit didn't work out. But I learned a lesson in every single one of those things that crumbled. Every single one. And each of those lessons is actually relevant to what I'm doing today right now with you guys, with the podcast, with everything. So it always will work out. You just have to trust that no matter what happens, you have the ability to bounce back. That's all you have to focus on. You don't have to keep telling yourself, I will be fine. It's going to work out. It's definitely going to be perfect. No, you just say, regardless of the outcome, I'm fine. I'll be fine because I trust in myself. That way there's less pressure. There's less pressure to succeed. There's only pressure to do. You just take action and then you just continue to take action because the momentum has begun. All right? Guys, as always, love you so much. I truly, truly fucking love you guys. You guys are the best. Please keep sharing the podcast as you do. Keep spreading the word. Um, shout out to – I've had like a, a growth of listeners um, in New York recently. So shout out to my New York listeners and also from Scotland as well. I've had some listeners from Scotland tuning in as of late. So, so hello to you guys as well. It's so cool to see um, people from around the world tuning into the podcast and, and spreading the word of my podcast for me and spreading it there in your country, in your city, in your town. It honestly makes me so happy. You have absolutely no idea. It's the best thing ever. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Love you all so much. Um, and yeah, 
I'll see you. I'll talk to you next week. And as always, remember, be kind to yourselves. Be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anyone. And especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.